You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 303. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son, guys! How are you? Not bad, good. not bad. Thanks for yeah. asking. Good, 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 yourself? good. I'm very well, very well. I have uh, been talking about, and also to, Richard Saunders quite a lot over the last few weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much that we, that we actually forgot to mention that we were also on his show, on The Skeptic Zone. Oh, yeah. 21st of November. He yeah. had us on to celebrate the fact that we were passing the 300 episode thing. And we forgot to mention it. So so if you missed that, you could uh, doubt it's episode 685 of the <laughs> Skeptic Zone. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, so 300 is nothing. 685. Yeah, Richard as the machine. <laughs> yeah, baby steps. Baby steps, man. Baby steps. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, man, things are, I don't know. For, if we think of only that that we've achieved more than 300 episodes and we've been featured on the Skeptic Zone. And this wasn't the first time either. Richard is very generous when it comes to having us on his show. But um, otherwise, things are not looking very good, are they? Like, the numbers all across the world are, are absolutely crazy, Europe. And we will be talking about that later on with regards to the COVID situation. Yeah. Guys, I'm constantly in the state of losing faith in humanity. Yeah, well, isn't yeah. that a, the definition of a skeptic that you lose faith <laughs> in humanity? Yeah, but no. maybe not in humanity. <laughs> no, okay, no, right. No, no, no. In God, probably, but not not faith. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. We need hope, people. We need hope. <laughs> we need also vaccinations, especially in every country, because like every jab helps. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's... Talking about hope. Yeah, there's a lot of hope going on in Germany. Um, okay. <laughs> we now have the cabinet, the government. Finally. They're all set, they're all nominated. Okay. And we have as many women as men in the cabinet, uh, if you don't count the prime minister, Olaf Scholz. <laughs> mm. A fact that a lot of skeptics are very happy about is that Karl Lauterbach will be the health secretary. And Karl Lauterbach actually studied medicine. He has a PhD <laughs> in medicine even. <laughs> Wow. He's an epidemiologist. <laughs> That's a new idea. Have somebody yeah. on the job who actually knows what it's all who about. Actually knows mm. what they're doing. Yeah, it's like crazy. Then <laughs> mm. a lot of people are super happy about his appointment. And some are also really afraid because he wants to prohibit insurances to reimburse the cost of homeopathy. <laughs> oh, oh, Does yeah. he now? Does he now? Yeah. Because he's a critical thinker and I would like we probably would all agree that that makes a lot of sense because insurances in Germany don't even really cover glasses that are proven to work. So yeah. why should they cover homeopathy that's not working no, or that not be on placebo effect? <laughs> we, all, we already gave an, a really wrong award to Jens Spahn for not doing that, for yeah, not withdrawing exactly. the homeopathy. Looks support. like those times are over. Ooh, uh, nice. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'll believe it yes. when I see it. <laughs> but a homeopath all across the country must must be scared shitless now. They are super scared, but more about that later. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. 
Good, good. And there are other things. When it comes to just scientific discovery and exploration, I think the Mm. future holds a lot of intriguing things. One of them is an absolutely new project that has been signed by the European Space Agency. It's a a telescope that will be looking for and uh, gathering information about exoplanets. Mm. And it's a mm. European, a truly European project. We all know that NASA is doing that and James Webb Telescope will be tasked with exploring exoplanets. But uh, yeah, this is truly exciting stuff. And uh, mm. Airbus, which is a massive giant of the aerospace industry, will be doing this. And the whole project will be controlled by the UK Space Agency, but the participants in the project will be from all over Europe. So this is a truly international project, and I'm really excited. And they plan to launch the telescope in 2029, so in in a couple of years' time still. But uh, yeah, these projects take time, so uh, yeah, we need to get ready. And uh, we'll be here to report that when it happens. I'm sure, I'm sure. But while we wait for that to happen, I have some more (laughs) down-to-earth news. Very exciting news, actually. And that is we got a pronunciation file sent to us by listener Przemek. Listener Przemek from Poland. And I hope I say Przemek in the right way. But this was regarding the Polish health minister that we talked about Mm -hmm. last week. And he sent us this message, and I'll play it now. Our health minister's name is pronounced Adam Niedzielski. And the Law and Justice Party is, in short, peace. But I vastly prefer your pronunciation. <laughs> so, so, which is piss. Which was piss. So, so he, he doesn't uh, disapprove of my uh, pronunciation of the party piss. <laughs> which is nice of him. Thank you very much, Przemek. We, we do appreciate that. It's always fun to get those files. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of uh, weird pronunciations, I'm going to be trying to pronounce Norwegian words shortly. Yeah, without further ado, why don't we turn towards the actual show? To start with, it's time for This Week in Skeptical History. Twish! 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 And (laughs) I'd like to talk about something that happened on the 9th of December 2009 in Norway. Ooh... The actual phenomenon that was reported and seen by many, many people all across the country, and not only in Norway, but also in Sweden, is called a spiral form light pattern. In Norwegian, it sounds something like, in my understanding, spiral formede lysmonstere. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Not something like that. (laughs) I I, I approve, sort of, of that pronunciation. Not being Norwegian myself, of course, but... (laughs) <laughs> Good. But it was understandable, so, I believe. I tried Google Translate. I should have asked my uh, one of my friends who lives in Norway to record it for me. But uh, I'm not sure his, his Norwegian is that good. <laughs> Hope you're not listening. Never mind. So, something appeared in the night sky that was really looking like something out of a um, science fiction movie. Imagine a massive spiral form that was completely lit up. And it was massive. It covered a large chunk of the night sky. And in the middle, and uh, we will, of course, you will find the photos in one of the articles that I used for preparing for this was published by Universe Today. 
which is a great website, by the way, about space and astronomy news. And they feature a photograph of the phenomenon. And it's absolutely amazing. It really looks like something like like a giant wormhole from a Star Trek Deep Space Nine opening up and you would expect mm. something to come through. The problem is that nobody saw anything like that. And nothing like that had been seen in such large numbers either. It's not that the phenomenon was completely unknown, but obviously a lot of people had no freaking idea as to what to believe, what to think of this. So <laughs> some suggested it was time traveling Borgs from the Star Trek universe, of course, a weird <laughs> alien shit. But even on the night, a couple of experts suggested that it might have been some kind of a, a failed rocket launch as a rocket starts leaking fuel and spiraling as a result like crazy and the sun which was not completely down so it was a little bit lower than the horizon but at a certain altitude obviously you could see the sunrise sun rays just coming through a cloud of stuff that was em emitted by this um, could you also hear a russian voice saying Boris! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're not far from the actual truth. And it didn't take to... But obviously, nobody heard anything from the Russians. So obviously, it wasn't the Norwegian Air Force or anything like that doing a rocket launch. But as it turns out, a day later, the Russian authorities finally admitted that it was a missile accident with um, something that was called a Bulava ICBM. Now, an, an ICBM is um, a type of uh, ballistic missiles. These ballistic missiles were tested extensively towards the end of the 2000s. And um, by that time, by 2009, out of 13 launches, six had failed. So this was probably not even the first phenomenon of the same kind. But the incident itself was picked up by several UFO enthusiasts. They started speculating like crazy that it was an extraterrestrial intelligence in the process of getting in touch or making first contact with Earthlings. But my personal favorite is the idea of a wormhole opening up. Some even <laughs> suggested that the, the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland had something to do with it, according to the Wikipedia article. So this is, I think absolutely fascinating that this had happened as um, an aerial phenomenon it's mind-blowing it's so beautiful you actually want to see something like that obviously you want to see something like the aurora as well and some people suggested had suggested that it could have been an aurora a special kind of aurora that was happening and uh, not really so that was just a nozzle of a third stage of a missile that went sideways and that was the russian defense ministry so yeah boris had to do with it more than those long-awaited aliens <laughs> <laughs> so that was that is that is being referred to as the 2009 norway spiral anomaly hmm. sounds exciting yeah with that I think we're ready to move on to find out what the Pope has been up to lately. <laughs> right. Any celestial stuff? Perchance. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Schism. You both know what that is, don't you? Your history nerds. Yes. <laughs> also known as the East-West Schism. Yeah. 
between of, of Rome the, and the Constantinople. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the split of the of the church into the eastern and the western thing. So it's almost mm-hmm. a thousand years ago now. Mm-hmm. The Greek gave the Pope uh, a, a, a finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was sort of a middle finger to the Pope. This was in uh, 1054, and the Greek Orthodox Church was born by telling the then Pope, Leo IX, that he wasn't the boss of them anymore. Mm. Uh, and, and that hurt, and it still hurts. And even Francis today refers to the Greek Orthodox Church as the Eastern Catholic Church. And uh, he wants to sort of, he, he knows they're not answering to him anymore, but he tries to imply it uh, when he talks about them. But they're not part of his club anymore. <laughs> but he went there last week to do some diplomacy, trying to keep up relations with his brother in the East there, who is not always um, collaborating with him. But they didn't like that very much. At least not every person in, in Greece did. So let me play this for you. <laughs> right. So I, I understand that some people, I, be, I hope, in Greece are listening and can understand this. But for the rest of us, the, <laughs> what I could make out was Papa, which of course means the Pope, and Ereticos, which means heretic. So wow. he was Ooh. calling the Pope a heretic and also with some help with subtitles from the video that I took this from, I can also make out that in the end he said that there's no room for any popes in Greece. And this was an older priest, Orthodox priest, looks Ooh, wow. until he started shouting. He looked very venerable, very serious guy, but uh, he was very, very upset about the Pope going there. Anyway, I think uh, Francis, as always, he, he just ignored this and uh, n- no mention was of that uh, anywhere. On the plane back from Greece, Frankie was asked a question not relating to this in- incident, but about the Archbishop of Paris, Michel Opetit, who recently sent in his resignation to Francis due to an inappropriate relation with a woman. And of course, I'm all in favor with, uh, well, appropriate relations with women. But in, in the Catholic world, among the priests and the archbishops, they're not supposed to do things like that. So we only know that it was an inappropriate relation of some sort. And here is how Frankie shows his expertise in avoiding answering those questions. And, and by the way, if you're wondering, on the plane back, very often Francis has reporters on the plane they actually yeah. pay a lot to go it's, this is actually to be a little bit sidebar here this is actually how he finances his travels he sells these tickets extremely expensive to <laughs> the, the journalists so that he can charter a whole plane and it doesn't cost him anything anyway they asked him this question and what he did instead of replying was saying and i quote what did Opetit do that was so bad in order to give his resignation? Answer me. And then, of course, there was no answer because nobody knows what he did. So Francis continued, quote, If we don't know the accusation, we cannot condemn him. End quote. Come Ooh. on, Frankie. You know what the guy did. You're just <laughs> pretending that you don't know. So you, so you don't 
of course Francis knows more than was written in the papers. That that's in, unbelievable to me that he doesn't know. So he's just playing the game and hoping now that this will blow over and people will forget to ask him again. Mm. Very very slick politician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, there's a last thing before we go. Uh, this this comes from listener Mark in the Netherlands. Thank you very much. We will uh, get back to this in a couple of weeks' time or so. But if you remember in July, episode 281 it was, we talked about the, all the indigenous school children in Canada that was abducted. Or no, they were not abducted. They were sent to terrible schools and about a thousand of them disappeared. And they have now been found in graves all over the schools. It's not just one school. Many, many Catholic schools in Canada. Frankie famously refused to apologize for the scandal. He just expressed his deep sorrow or whatever he said, as usual. He didn't apologize on behalf of the Catholic Church. But that was, of course, not acceptable. So on the 17th to the 20th of December, a delegation of indigenous Canadians will be in Rome to discuss the matter with him. And that will be very interesting to follow. But... Mm -hmm. uh, more about that at the time. So anyway, that's all the poking for this week. <laughs> the poking, poping. Oh, what? <laughs> Never mind. Thank you for poking the Pope once again, Pontus. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that leaves us with the news. Yes, I will jump right in with the topic that I mentioned before that I would talk more about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Something happened in Germany where a lot of skeptic friends of mine were like, what happened? Like, what is that real? <laughs> um, because the Deutsche Homeopathie Union, which pretty much means German Homeopathy Union, published a, a huge advertisement in, in newspapers. In this advertisement, they're calling people to get vaccinated and like to get vaccinated with Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, wow. like actual vaccines. This seems to be completely opposite to what a lot of homeopaths claim, right? <laughs> yes, they have their own system. What do they call that? Uh, there's uh, a word for it. Nosodes. Nosodes, okay. Yeah, so they call it nosodes instead. It's not the same thing, but if that's some sort of vaccination alternative, which is homeopathic, yeah. Alrighty, um, I would have thought that there's no alternative to vaccination apart from getting the, uh, <laughs> getting the sickness. But And yeah, it, it was really funny because everybody was like, well, what's happening? And Dr. Lübbers, who is a Informationsnet homeopathy colleague of Natalie Grams, not man, and he explains it like this. He says, of course, most homeopaths are anti-vax, but... They want to save their own hides. <laughs> yeah. Because with Karl Lauterbach, for example, as our Minister for Health, and also with people falling off the road uh, to either one side or the other, mm -hmm. to either say like vaccines work and are really important so that we get rid of COVID, or they don't work and, and they are invented by the state. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, it's getting more extreme. And homeopaths just are afraid of losing a lot of money, especially with, with Karl Lauterbach who wants them to not be reimbursed by insurance companies anymore. And so they really want to improve their reputation and also give themselves the sheen of medicine and the, uh, being pro-medicine. Mm -hmm. Very smart of them. But it seems like a desperate move <laughs> in a way. Yes, yes, definitely desperate. 
speaking of desperate moves, some people are so desperate to try to avoid vaccination that they are open to every kind of weird shit. And we have talked on this show on several occasions about people who use ivermectin. And not too long ago, I think, uh, Annika, you talked about uh, Austria running yes. out of ivermectin because a lot of people are rushing <laughs> to, to buy yes. them. Some people mm. are so crazy about ivermectin that they actually overdose on it. And some hospitals have to put up with people being admitted to the, to the hospital with an ivermectin overdose. And this seems to be the case in Slovakia from towards the end of uh, November when they reported that um, in uh, one of the hospitals, Louis Pasteur Hospital in uh, Košice, they are treating two patients who are so intoxicated with this anti-parasitic medication that uh, they are fighting for their lives. <laughs> so <laughs> one of them was, not too long ago, in a life-threatening situation and condition with uh, impaired consciousness and massive neurological uh, damages. According to the toxicology clinics had, uh, named Marek Varga, the concentrations of ivermectin in these patients' blood was about a thousand times more than what is accepted as a, like a prescribed level. Because as we all know, ivermectin can be used as antiparasitic agent in humans as well, but it should be at a very low dosage. And apparently, this patient has overdosed so massively that... Uh, the, it's the, enough to kill a horse, maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and most people are not horses. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So liver damage, uh, oh. excessive neurological symptoms can be experienced. And it gets even weirder than this. A couple of months ago, it was turned out that not only the Slovakian government became the first EU nation that formally approved ivermectin for COVID-19 patients in the beginning of 2021. It was a move that has been internationally criticized, and rightly so. I mean, this, this was a shitty move. I mean, the ivermectin has turned out not to be effective in treating or avoiding COVID-19. So there is no point in doing that. On the other hand, not only the Slovakian government, but also the Czech government made a very stupid move of uh, buying a lot of ivermectin from Bulgaria. Uh, 10,000 doses back in March 2021. One has to ask the question, if the government is so stupid to make something available at this level and making this move and then sending the message out that this is something that deserves your attention and deserves a try, then no wonder people are using it to such an extent that they can even overdose on it. This is a very stupid move and this should stop now. Doctors have enough on their plates already in these countries because Slovakia's numbers are going through the roof. They are doing terribly at the moment. And there, there are many other countries with the same situation, actually. But it's very, very strange. What if, let, let's say, if the medical expertise of the day would recommend taking a horse vaccine against yeah. COVID, do you think people would have taken it? They would have been outraged. But now that we have a vaccine, we have several vaccines, specifically mm. targeting this disease for humans, no, they rather eat horse medicine. 
That's crazy. Yeah. I don't understand. And we, we know exactly what works. Vaccines work, but not alone. I mean, only vaccines, they cannot stop the pandemic. But combined with wearing masks and trying to short social distance, that's what works. So all yeah. the three have to be there. Yeah. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. during 2020, the so-called Swedish model to handle the corona situation received a lot of criticism, as we know, and we remember. A lot of that was very misinformed. It wasn't Mm -hmm. as bad as it was played out to be uh, abroad. But there were some legitimate things that went wrong, and you should always look back at the past and see if you can learn and do better in the future. So the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences last week presented their report on the Swedish response to the pandemic and what they feel could have been handled better. So they point out that the Swedish authorities were very poorly prepared for such a situation. I think that was in common with a lot of the whole world was pretty unprepared for that, but but it could have been much better. They now want the government to appoint a permanent special council of experts to keep politicians and authorities informed going forward when it comes to health issues like this. (laughs) And between the lines, they're actually saying that the public health agency of Sweden wasn't fast enough or good enough to do so because that is actually their job. We have an agency for that, but they didn't. They were too slow. Another thing that they criticized was something that came up a lot last year, and that was the hesitancy to mandate the use of face masks, as you mentioned, Andras. They feel that that should have been done quickly and as a priority, and it still hasn't been emphasized enough, they say. (laughs) And I agree that we we should do that. The big irony about this report was that they were delivering this report at a press conference and a journalist uh, raised uh, their hand and asked uh, politely, if face masks are so great, why are you not wearing them now when you're talking to us? (laughs) And that was a very, very awkward moment for these experts and they had no good answer. So that was a bit embarrassing. So it's easy to preach, but you have to live like you preach as well. That was, uh, that was a very interesting solution to that problem. Do you remember when Sebastian Kurz, the former Austrian chancellor, uh, was, I no, think really. he was among the first ones who used that technique. When he gave a press conference, he was talking behind a glass wall. Mm-hmm. That was a thoughtful way of handling that situation. That Obviously, they want to take shots of you while speaking and, and video recordings and, and everything. It's important for them to see your mouth, but you can do it without yeah, risking yeah. getting them infected if you, you're talking through a glass. <laughs> yeah, they should have done that's, that. That's really yeah. good. It's good you mentioned the face masks because I don't know if you remember, but uh, when Hungary reached the number of doses handed out or administered as high as the half of the pop- the Hungarian population, which is 5 million people, then Orban decided to let go of the face masks. From then on, it, it hasn't been uh, compulsory to wear face masks, not even inside. And uh, now it, it has been reversed, so it, it had to be revoked, this uh, decision. 
because of these and a lot of other things that the government has done since the beginning of the pandemic, the trust in the government's decisions is not where it all stops. It goes as far as denying the whole situation still. And not only vaccinations, but also the pandemic itself. And there was a new um, research, market research, that was just released by one of the, the greatest Hungarian portals, HVG. They had very disturbing findings. One of them is that the voices of anti-vaccination activists have become much stronger in the last couple of months. The latest research published sometime around June, I think, that uh, really tried to measure all that. And uh, the other thing is that, and, and we can see that in the numbers. These people, we're mostly talking about online activities, but they are spreading their false information. And one of them is uh, that breakthrough infections occur because the vaccines are absolutely ineffective. And that spreads the fear and that spreads the idea that the vaccinations are completely unnecessary. Obviously, there is some serious distrust toward the government and the fact that they are pushing for the vaccinations, that this translates in the people's mind into something like, this is the way of controlling us. So we have to endure and we have to go against the government and just deny vaccinations. And it seems like these activists and, and the whole movement has been mobilized from a uh, bottom-up fashion. It's a grassroots movement, but it has massively overgrown itself. And they are capable of mobilizing large crowds of people, although not in the way of taking them out on the streets, as it happens in several European, other European countries. It's still an online activity, but it, the result of it is that people are not taking up the vaccines. There was another research by Policy Solutions that showed that 33% of people agree that the coronavirus was developed by pharmaceutical companies in order to create this disturbance in the force so that we buy a lot of their products. And 25% do believe that the vaccines cause sterility. Things like that are very disturbing because it's a large number of the population. Some experts argue that it's not necessarily the number of uh, anti-vax activists that has grown, but the number of people who are expressing their anti-vax views. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if it's any consolation. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no. it's hard to tell as well because if they didn't want to say so before, how can you investigate that? Yeah. By definition, you don't know. Yeah. And there are a couple more aspects of this. There is a government, and I've been talking about this for ages uh, on the show, that the Hungarian government operates on conspiracy theories. So they use a lot of conspiracy theories, especially those against uh, George Soros, uh, obviously. And now the government, according to experts, is in a very tricky situation because they found themselves in the bad position of having to deny conspiracy theories and trying to urge people to accept scientific facts instead of the conspiracy theories in order to fight this situation. So they found themselves on the other side of the problem. 
And um, the other problem is that the main figureheads of the movement are spreading misinformation and they use, not only use, but also generate the need for very cheap and readily available uh, false information and misinformation. And they make a massive profit out of it. So that's the other part that uh, the the experts uh, point out and, and emphasize. So most of the figureheads of the antivax movement in Hungary are selling some kind of therapy or some kind of dietary supplements or something. And the statistics show obviously that their uh, revenue data is available freely to everyone. So these show that their income has in some occasions more than doubled in the last two years. So this is in their best financial interest to keep spreading misinformation and keep conning people with the anti-vax sentiment. This leads to wide-scale, countrywide, terrible COVID situation. Hmm. Yeah, good news from Hungary, right? <laughs> All <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned before, Andras, how people are desperate to avoid to get vaccinated. They look oh, yeah, for yeah. other solutions. Here, here's a little fun story, to be honest comes to us from Bob, listener Bob, who usually or very often send us news items and stuff. Keep that up. And if you're keeping count, this is the third listener interaction in this episode alone. So people, <laughs> we do love to hear from you. Just send in your tips and tricks and uh, pronunciations or whatever. So, okay, fun story from Bob. It's almost too good to be true uh, from that aspect. We, we know <laughs> that people will do anything to avoid to get vaccinated, but with harder and harder restrictions for unvaccinated people, they're really getting desperate. We know that Italy has this green pass set up, which is starting to spread to other countries as well, of course. But we've talked about the green pass before. And this is a pass where you have to show that you are vaccinated to go to coffee shops, to do things, and people try to find ways to cheat. One genius showed up at the vaccine hub in Biella, B-I-E-L-L-A. Send us your sound files. Yeah. <laughs> Andras, <laughs> send me your sound probably. file. Okay. Biella. <laughs> Biella. <laughs> Biella. It is, uh, regardless of how you pronounce it, it is a town close to Turin in the north of uh, Italy. He showed up there to get vaccinated, except he didn't really want to be vaccinated. So he just wanted his green pass. When a nurse was about to jab him in the arm, she noticed that something wasn't quite right. The color of the arm was a bit off and it didn't really feel right at the touch. <laughs> Turns out that the guy had a fake silicone arm sticking out of his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> How, how did he think he was going to get away with that? It's it's crazy. <laughs> it just makes you wonder what was he thinking. Um, and then, of course, when they he was found out, he tried to convince them to just pretend that he had gotten the vaccine anyway. And can you please make an exception for me? Of course, they couldn't make an exception. They they called the police, I believe, and at least it hit the the news media. <laughs> really makes you wonder, and as you said before, Andras, uh, maybe we should lose faith in and all hope for for the human race. This is crazy. People are just nuts. Yeah, yeah. Something that's not as funny, but also cool, is that um, the German Playboy had an election going on about the Man of the Year. 
The the magazine, yes. Yes, the magazine. It's not that you have one German Playboy, a real guy <laughs> the, that the, you all refer to as yes. the Playboy. Okay, <laughs> the, no, magazine. the magazine. The magazine. Yeah. Um, and the German Playboy readers voted for the Man of the Year 2021. And uh, Christian Drosten, who is a virologist and science communicator, who also mentioned before on uh, other episodes, he won that with 23.6%. That's nice, I guess. So, so, yes. Does it does it mean that that he's? I mean, he, he he was elected the Man of the Year, but does that mean that he's the sexiest Man of the Year or, or something like that? Just um, asking because enough, it's because only, it's Playboy. Said, I mean, yeah, they okay. only said men of the year. They didn't say sexiest. <laughs> well, actually, Annika, not to contradict you, but I'm looking at the link here, and it says Wissenschaft ist sexy. It says. Yeah, but so, that's what the what. Uh, I was the, the newspaper said. Yeah, that's gave it. Yeah, it's yeah. give you a block like what the author like Bernd Harder chose that title. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I think it's sexy to be a viral. It is. It is. Yeah. Science is sexy, yeah. and and um, Christian Drosten also. If won, you don't agree, um, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and Christian Drosten also won 2020, the year, and um, you can also see that they pretty much followed a pattern because the second place of Man of the Year uh, 2021 went to Urs Shahin, and you can also, of course, send in how that should be pronounced, who is the owner of BioNTech and the developer or like co-developer of the vaccine, and mm -hmm. um, he is in the second place there. So, yeah, you can see that the readers really voted for super important people and not like shallow people that didn't do anything, basically. <laughs> And the same was true for the negative award that they um, voted for, because this award was uh, won by COVID denier and conspiracy believer Michael Wendler, who um, who is also like a German singer, not not super popular though. And what I also wanted to add is that Christian Drosten, the virologist, also won the Heinz Oberhömer Award, which is given mm -hmm. out um, by mm. the by the Austrian skeptics. The um, alpaca poop, wasn't yeah. that not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Martin Moda mentioned the Heinz Oberhömer That's Award. That's right, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he also won that award. Okay. Good. Nice, congratulations cool. on both accounts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and that shows you that Playboy is not the shallow kind of just for the sexy ladies photos magazine that a lot of people yeah. make mm -hmm. makes it out to be mm -hmm. i remember that i think it was like 15 years ago at least the last time i held a playboy magazine in my hand and it was the most inter interesting part was not that i'm not interested in beautiful women but it's the most interesting part of it was interviews like interviews with interesting people and very good interviews as well. So um, this is one of those occasions as well that, that this is probably why the people whom the magazine asked decided to, to go for an intellectual instead of someone who's shallow and sexy and all that. I just, I just thought yeah, yeah. No, I only, that. I always only buy Playboy for the articles. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I don't buy it, but I, but I know that the German Playboy also had uh, Lydia Benneke in an interview there. Oh, there you like go. She, maybe I should she buy it. She talked the about the divorce rates and why that's related to uh, murder. Oh yeah, nice, wow. interesting, ah, interesting. Yeah, and. Interesting. And just to be clear about that, that Playboy magazine that I held in my hand around 15 years ago, it was bought either by my mum or my elder sister. I don't 
No, because they wanted to read the articles and um, the interviews that, that were featured in it. Never mind. Moving on, but <laughs> not very far. I mean, geographically speaking, very, very far from Germany because it's, uh, we, we're going uh, to southern Italy, down to Bari. But the, t- the topic is somewhat related. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> somewhat, yeah. Yes. Not too long ago, it was made public that an Italian gynecologist who goes by the name Giovanni Miniello, and he's in this, his 60s, turns out to be a fucking pig. Literally, actually. Yeah, lit- literally a fucking pig. So, gynecologist, obviously, he sees a lot of women. And um, turns out that he started fancying a couple of them and came up with the stupid idea of how to get in sexual relations with them through convincing them that their problems with conceiving or other kind of issues can be cured with having sex with him. Mm. Of course. And especially did his, his predatory actions, claiming that the HPV, human papillomavirus infections, uh, can be treated with him using his magic flute. <laughs> mm, magic flute. That's oh. one big thick needle. Go to a vaccine instead. And he also referred to his magic flute as the Padre Pio of penises. Padre Pio (laughs) is a southern Italian saint who's highly revered in all of southern Italy. People have massive stickers everywhere with uh, Padre Pio's photo or picture on, on it. So that's a big thing to say that his magic flute is the Padre Pio of penises. Well... (laughs) What a prick. <laughs> what a prick! I mean, I shouldn't laugh. What a, what a creep! Like what an abuser! Yeah. But but like this is so absurd. It is. It is. So oh. the whole thing came to some people's attention when thirty-three-year-old woman by the name Anna Maria got in touch with uh, La Repubblica to report him as an offender, the sexual offender because she could not get pregnant and she was tested for HPV with a smear test and it it showed all negative results but after a bit further examination the good doctor uh, Miniello found a couple of uh, small spots uh, on the cervix and he indicated that there might be a presence of HPV even though the smear test came out with a negative result. He was willing to cure her anyway. He That's was what you're saying. Willing to use his willy, yeah. Out of the goodness of his heart, yeah. <laughs> Fucking asshole. So he even touched the breasts of this woman. Very, very bad stuff. However, this came to the attention of the producers of a TV show that's called Lelene, and that's a Latin investigative journalist show. And they decided to send in an actress who pretended Mm. to be a patient who wanted to get cured. And she agreed to a careful examination, and she wore a camera on her. So she documented the whole thing. And then she agreed to meet him in a hotel room. And right before the action could start, a reporter entered the room with a microphone and started asking questions. Mm. And the guy didn't panic. He jumped right at his, his phone and offered to call all the former patients 
who got cured by his method. And uh. the show aired on Lelene, and as a result, there have been 15 other women who came out to the light and said that they had the same uh, some some similar experiences with this fucking guy. So you know what really really scares me is that HPV sometimes also the vaccine gets administered to fifteen year olds, for example, yeah. and that or like youngers even. And that really really scares me because if you're if you're thirty, it's like it's bad enough, but you know that it's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're fifteen or seventeen, like yeah. you probably don't have the capacities to to even report that. So that's exactly, really, and that's really one scary. of the issues. Uh, Marika Massara, the coordinator for the anti-violence center in Bari, said the exact same thing. They had dozens of reports after the, the initial fifteen, but they still think that a lot of the reports have not been filed. So a lot of people of who w- witnessed the same thing did not report it. Mm. And who knows how many people fell for it in the last forty years that he's been in operation? I mean, ah. Uh, that's outrageous. So I, I really hope terrible, that he, he gets a prison sentence for this. Yeah. Yeah. He got arrested, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. Something that's not as scary, but also very interesting is a study by Lund University in Sweden. I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> yeah, that's next door to me. So. <laughs> but that's right. Lund. Yeah. Okay. Lund. And they said that the belief in astrology has a relation to intelligence. <laughs> they had 264 participants in this in a study and they had four pillars, pretty much the belief in astrology, the big five personality traits, narcissism and intelligence. That's what, what they were looking for or at. And interestingly enough, narcissism is the strongest predictor if you think about the belief in, in astrology, whereas intelligence... It has a negative relationship with the belief in astrology. Um, what I also found really interesting is that, as I already said, the higher the narcissism rate was, the higher the belief in astrology was. So you could maybe imagine that this is because both have a self-centered worldview. Mm-hmm. And the higher your intelligence, the lower the belief usually is in astrology. So I found that also very, very no-brainer in that regard. The study also said that their own limit is, for example, something like that they had a self-report survey there. So they had a good big number, two hundred, um, like above 260 people um, took the survey. But if you have self-report, then you don't... Yeah, it has its limits, as we know. Yeah. But I found that really interesting. So I'll be excited to hear more about that when another study comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. However, I really found it incorrect how a lot of the media and media outlets reported on it Mm. they claim that this means that those who believe in astrology are less intelligent yeah this is not what the the results actually show it's just Mm. there is there is some kind of connection but we don't yeah this is a typical situation when we need further studies (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is tricky because there's also the question of how do you define intelligence can we really measure intelligence Uh, and it's very easy for people who don't believe in astrology like us (laughs) to be oh yeah it's only stupid people that believe in astrology that's not the conclusion you should draw from this it's much more complicated than that and uh, well we have all found intelligent people that actually falls for a lot of stupid shit so uh, yeah 
But Correct. it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, that's right. All right, mm-hmm. but that has been all the news uh, that we had prepared for today. So thank you very much to both of you. And uh, let's find out who's been really wrong lately. Hmm, more COVID nonsense. Hey. Why trust the consensus of the experts when you're an expert yourself? Why succumb to proven vaccines when you can cook up your own homebrew in your garage? <laughs> These are questions that the German doctor Winifred Stöcker put to himself, <laughs> and um, by answering them wrongly, he earned himself this week's Really Wrong Award. And the story is as follows. On Dr. Stöcker's blog, there is a post, actually in English, so you don't have to Google Translate it. And it's still up there, so you can uh, read it. In this blog post, he bashes Jens Spahn, and there's nothing wrong with that. I've done so myself several times. (laughs) But he makes it clear that he doesn't think that, quote, incompetent bureaucrats and politicians, end quote, can be trusted with the difficult challenges of fighting the pandemic. Well... There are, I'm sure there are incompetent bureaucrats and and politicians, but bloody hell, we have to trust the experts. But this numbskull says that he tested his own jab uh, on himself and on some 100 volunteers before rolling out the vaccinations across the country. In total, he claims that he has administered his own homemade Lubekavax to some 20,000 people. Now, I know he derived the name uh, Lubecka Vax from Lübeck, the, the city where, the, where <laughs> he lives. I thought from the musician. <laughs> no, no. Lubecka. Because I am only 12 years old, I thought it sounded a little bit like lube, doesn't it? So, so don't <laughs> okay. misapply this. Don't misapply it. Don't apply it at all. This is nonsense. Uh, The police hit against this idiocy when last Monday they broke up a queue of about Mm. 200 people who were waiting at the Lübeck airport, which this motherfucker owns. Apparently, this guy is so loaded that he owns his own airport. (laughs) I bet he read about the Australian flying doctor, Saniga, Mm -hmm. and he figured it was something that he needed to. But that's beside the point. (laughs) Anyway, people were standing there in line at the airport to get vaccinated by his concoction. And he says that it is 97% effective based on... uh, Based on 100 people. (laughs) 100 people of his best, you know, his best friends. Uh, (laughs) And he said again when he was interviewed about that, quote, We have a responsibility to the patients, not to the state. But the police stopped everything. He is 74 years old, and he was talking to the tabloid Bild. I don't even have to tell listeners how stupid it is. And by by an MD. Pfizer, BioNTech, AstraZeneca, Moderna, and all the others, they tested their vaccines on tens of thousands of people, uh, following all the protocols, waited for the proper approval. And now their vaccines have been administered in the billions, really. And we, we know that they are safe. This idiot gave it to 100 of his closest friends. And then to 20,000 others. <laughs> <laughs> and then to 20,000 others, yeah. And he doesn't think he did anything wrong. He thinks he's um, doing the right thing and, and uh, the police is just wrong. But um, uh, for endangering the public by injecting them willy-nilly with his own ho- home-cooked snake oil... 
Dr. Winifred Stöcker from Lübeck gets this week's award for being really wrong. Well deserved. It is indeed. And I can tell you, if they let him keep his license, I will personally fly down to his stupid airport and take it away from him. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see that, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bring a camera. (laughs) No, I bring the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, thank you very much, Pontus. And that Mm -hmm. brings us to the end of the show. But before we go, do we have a quote, Annika? Yes, we do. The quote is by Hannah Fry, British mathematician and science communicator. <gasps> Hannah Fry! Oh, yes. Love her. Born, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we saw her at QED, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She was born 1984, and she says, I do think we're at a point in our history where almost all of the big grand challenges faced by the human race are those that demand a scientific solution. Climate change, access to clean water, overcrowding, plastic waste. Mm. We could probably add COVID to that too. (laughs) Yeah, everything. Yes, that's right. No, but she's absolutely right, of course. She's a smart cookie. (laughs) Yeah. So if people don't listen to the curious cases of Rutherford and Fry, yeah, you should listen to that podcast. It's great. It's fun. We've had uh, Adam Rutherford on the show, actually, as a guest once. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That was a cool episode. <laughs> Do listen to that. It's by the BBC, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's BBC. Yeah, yeah. Very clever people, both of them. Yes. That's right. All right. So I'd like to thank uh, both our very esteemed and smart colleagues as well. <laughs> Annika, Pontus, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Restart. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. To bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews. <laughs> Interviewees! <laughs> Give it another try. What is it? Not spacecraft. Um, rocket? Not a rocket. Um, Satellite? Spaceship? No, 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 The telescope. It's, it's, it's got to be a telescope. <laughs> time out. So, Stay tuned. Time out. Yeah. Time out. I have a cat. I think I heard that. <laughs> what the hell is going on? What the hell is that?
<laughs> just that, all that we can see is just a tail. Bloody cat. We could we could not see the actual cat, just a tail, as he walked uh, through the the, the, <laughs> the room. It was attached to an actual cat, I promise. Oh, good, good. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. <laughs> yes, they have their own system. What do they call that? Uh, there's uh, a word for it. Globally? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Fraud, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Fraud, yeah. That's that's more like it. 